Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I am David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here tonight with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. Hey, David. That's a long Bruce tonight. I tend to save those for the big wins, Bruce. Mm, yes, I'd like to savor the uh, savor. That's <laughs> one of the rituals of savoring a big victory. I think this was one of those for sure. <laughs> one of those for sure. Was it ever? Was it ever? And you know, it was a we. You know, it was a game where um, you might argue that the Oilers got outplayed um, slightly uh, in the flow of play. The grade A, the grade A shots were twelve to seven for Boston. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the five alarm shots, so the grade A shots go in on average 25% of the time. There's a subset of five alarm shots that go in about 33% of the time. And there was only uh, five of those all game long. And the owners had three of them. And uh, Boston had two of them. So mm-hmm. the owners had the edge in the most dangerous of chances. So it was very, you know, the expected mm-hmm. goals was fairly close. But Boston had, I think, would have had a higher expected goals in that game by a slight amount. I don't know what the... Well, I'm just about to give you that because I do find this interesting. Uh, This is very strange for me. Uh, Boston had 54% of the shot attempts, 56% of the shots, 56% of the scoring chances, 56% of the high danger chances. This all asks for natural stat trick. And yet it was Edmonton that had 56% of the expected goals. They had the score at 3.02 to 2.39 including in the third period, an advantage of 2.05 for Edmonton and 0.6 for Boston, which is basically what happened in the third period. Edmonton got two and they got zero. So their expected goals somehow, even though all the other stats were a little twisted the other way, so there must be, I mean, there must be sort of some kind of 10, well, five alarm chance or something that they factor in where they just call it a high danger chance, but it's a better one than the other ones. Uh, I don't know how they do break away or, you know, there was seven and did have a couple that missed the net. And of course, uh, natural stat trick doesn't much care about that. They care about the shot and where it's coming from and whether, and we, uh, we only credit one. So Fogel for all of his 140 foot sprint got no credit for scoring chance because he fired it wide. We measure, we We don't, we we don't measure scoring chances. We measure Grade right. A shots, shots on net. Shots. Grade A shots. shots. We measure shots. Yeah, so that's that's how we decided to do. You know, we we mm-hmm. yeah. figured. You know, for a number of reasons, which I won't get into now. We we that's where we've ended up. And, there, and there's no right or wrong in this. I don't think. Like, there's just two different ways of viewing hockey. And and the smartest people who who have you know the guy who came up with this system, Roger Nielsen, shifted back and forth. I understand, in yeah. his in his career and his understanding mm-hmm. of what he wanted to count. Yeah, I believe that's mm-hmm. the case. All right. Um, when you're counting them defensively, you want to count every look that the other team gets, whether they hit the net or not, right? When you're counting them offensively, you're chased off at the guy who missed the net that you just don't want to yeah. count it. But and so there's no sort of perfect yin and yang way to do it that's going to get everything right. But I think we're consistent in terms of applying the same at both ends. So that's that's the important thing. I think most. Now that we're into it, I think most NHL teams who do that, who have used this system, and many have used this system over the the past decades, this kind of video analysis is common, was common. I don't know what's common now, but was common in, with NHL teams. All the disciples of Roger Nielsen um, did this, and one of them, Tom Rennie, was the was the coach who convinced me, like, no, a missed shot you shouldn't count, and here's why. 
when you get a great chance at the offensive end and your guy misses the net, it is a huge downer mm-hmm. for you. Right. It is not a good thing. It is a negative. And you should mm-hmm. never count that as a positive thing in a game because it's not. Now, like, as you say, though, from the defensive end, you're the coach and you want to see anytime they have a good look, yeah. you're mad and you're upset. Yeah. And you, Warren you, Fogel got a breakaway whether he hit the net or not. If you're the Boston coach, you're going, how the hell did Warren Fogel get a breakaway? Exactly. You're the Edmonton coach and you're thinking, are you? Anyway, I actually have, that's one, those are the kind of ones I have to look up in the play-by-play because sometimes a goalie, on the shot stick side, especially, it just ticks the very outside of his blocker and it changes direction by, you know, three degrees or something. But it's the difference between inside the post and outside. So I'll give that a hard look and actually make sure how they scored it in Boston when I review the chances here tomorrow. But as of, as of now, they're, they're sort of preliminary chances that David has uh, uh, recorded and I have not yet checked. Reviewed, as you do every game and then. Yes. It's uh, how we, one of the checks we have on our system to make sure it's a little bit more, less subjective and at least two people are giving input. And All right, Bruce, our two good things, two bad things and two numbers podcast segment of the podcast begins now. And um, I'll start it off because my first good thing, we're going to go with two good things each because it was a huge mm-hmm. uh, win for the orders, is the first, is the Edmonton's first goal. Okay. A four on one caused by a, a Boston player losing control of the puck. And just when it looked like the orders were never going to score, never going to score. And Boston had put together a run of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine grade A shots in a row. They nine grade A shots in a row. They were up two to nothing. The orders had, had a couple grade A shots early on, but Boston got nine mm. in a row. Orders weren't getting anything. Oh, they were all over the orders. Boston they was really, playing really fantastic hockey for a big chunk of this game. They are a fantastic defensive hockey team. I really mm-hmm. give them credit. Like the best defensive hockey team I've seen this year easily. So um, there's a mistake by the Bruins defender and Matthias Janmark picks up the puck and it's a four on one. And thankfully the player he passes it to on that four on one is Evan Bouchard, who although he hasn't scored in forever, like it must be uh, 27 years now in his long life that he has not scored a goal. Um, 44 games, David. 44 That's games. a long time. That is, especially someone who shoots like him. But anyway, defender. He had one taken away the other night. But anyway, that was that was, was just coming. Fine. But was coming. It was coming, and he fired that puck home. Man, did he get off a good shot? And it's mm-hmm. exactly what you want to have shooting from that range. Um, from that range, I'd say he's the Edmonton Oilers player most likely to score because he's kind of just above. He's in the high slot area. And I like I, I'm talking like from from not having a one timer, just just going in and shooting. I would pick him to shoot over mm-hmm. Drysaddle or McDavid. Wow, I would That's pick him. Sure. Especially for someone who's only scored <laughs> hasn't scored in forty games. Well, let's just say that between the McDavid and Drysaddle have scored about seventy five goals since the last time Bouchard got one. But okay. <laughs> Now that you put it that way, I retract my statement, Your Honor. <laughs> Are you lying then or are you lying now? All right. Um, yeah, Bruce, since Evan uh, Tyson Berry's been traded, Evan Bouchard has been transformed. Like, literally, he's a different player. 
And I don't know exactly why that is. It could just be the confidence of playing with a veteran like Matias Ekholm again. Mm-hmm. Might have just really, like, the, the size of Ekholm, the um, smarts of Ekholm, the intensity, the hitting of Ekholm, like, everything that Ekholm brings. Like, maybe that's really, you know, the, it could be the beard. Whatever it is, we don't know. But it, it, it could be that. Or it could be just the confidence that the franchise showed in him mm-hmm. by moving you know, there have been talks, lots of talk that he may have heard of, Bruce, about um, Eric Carlson coming into Edmonton and Evan Bouchard going to San Jose. That mm-hmm, was the talk of the sure. internet for three or four weeks. And, you know, everyone was kind of had their head around it. We all agreed, mm-hmm. like, you know, that would probably make sense. And if he, you know, he, he may have even, he may have heard that kind of thing. So suddenly Tyson Berry's traded, Eric Carlson's not coming into town. Matthias Ekholm is traded for huge boost of confidence he's elevated to the top power play he starts to do well there the power play is clipping along um just fine actually with with him running it it seems to be mm-hmm. about the same as before and he um he just seems to have that extra zip in his game he's a little bit more physical and he's definitely um more chipper with the puck mm-hmm. and on the attack he just seems to be that much he's into it and uh he it looks like he feels like he, oh, he's the man and he's going to make plays and he made one there. Yeah, he sure did. And he actually held the puck for the right amount of time and he didn't sort of try and just, you know, touch it on to somebody else because it was four on one. You know, often the team will overpass it in that situation. Yeah. And he got into a position where he could see his spot and he just drilled it right into it. Great shot. Sweet. And uh, it was a long overdue goal from an Oilers defenseman, which... Uh, not counting Tyson Berry, who isn't here anymore. No Oiler defenseman currently on the team has scored a goal in calendar 2023, uh, except for Ekholm, who scored some in Nashville, but not in Edmonton. So <laughs> it's been a long, long time since the other D-men besides Barry have uh, found twine. We'll talk about that again in just a minute. But uh, that uh, uh, that was a, a a poor play by Boston to cause the jailbreak, but uh, well executed and, and really good shot by Bouchard. Such a, such a nice uh, sign to, uh, and as you say, he's been getting, uh, I mean, he got like a, <clears throat> just a multiple boost of uh, confidence. No, you didn't get traded, Evan. In fact, you're getting promoted to the second pairing. Oh, yeah, we brought in a top-notch left pairing veteran D-man to lock things down and get you the puck. And, oh, yeah, you're on our first power play unit now. We think you're ready. We know it's been a kind of long build, but we think you're ready to go, and we, you just need this opportunity to run with it. That's kind of the impression I'm getting, and he's just lifted uh, his his confidence, his game. Uh, he just seems more involved. He still makes mistakes, but it's not like he's wandering around in the red light zone, you know, on, on uh, you know, a coffee break or whatever. He's... Uh, uh, he's more, more engaged, and uh, I love to see it. Yeah, the tonight it was the Nurse CC pair that had the more um, that was out there for more uh, grade A shots against than the mm-hmm. Ekholm Bouchard pair. I felt more confident actually, personally, just watching the game. I felt more confident when Ekholm and Bouchard were on the game than I did when CC and Nurse were out on the out on the ice. It's it feels like though, Bruce, the Oilers kind of have a top four now though. And yes, um, two, you know, two pairings which can kind of vie uh, to be the number one pairing on any given night, and that's boy, that is a huge change for this team. They, you know, they're not the uh, you know the most elite top pairings in the NHL, obviously not, but um, they do have these uh, 
these two uh, defensive duos. Bruce, what is your good thing? First, yeah, my first good thing, I, I think, just the uh, uh, the physicality of this game. I thought it stood out, not that there was a million hits in this game. There was 33 for Boston and 31 for Edmonton, goodly numbers. But I thought that the hitting was very intense and heavy. There were some really big uh, body blows landed in this game. I thought they were they were fair, really, on, on both sides of the puck. Uh, uh, Matthias Ekholm, holy moly, did he ever rattle. Uh, David Krejci on the sidewall in the first period. It just absolutely just followed right through on the check and just hit him hard and and uh, uh, took him down and out. You know, it didn't hurt him and and you know it just was uh, the guy was already on the boards. He didn't board him. He just hit him uh, to finish the check there. And that was that was one that stood out. And he had six to lead both teams tied with Dmitry Orlov, who had a great game for Boston and had also six hits. One of them I thought was dirty, but them being Boston, there was no yes. penalty being called. Yeah, that hit on Zach Hyman was that should have been a penalty. It was like one. two steamboats after Hyman had gotten yeah. rid of the puck, and that was not right. Like, that was a dangerous play on Orlov's part, and it should have been penalized, especially considering the, pain, the, the penalty that Evander Kane took shortly before then. Um, you know, which for, was for shoving the guy, shoving guy who's trying to block your way, like trying to yeah, interfere with you as you're trying to get to the puck, and you, you're you're actually just pushing by him because he's he's moved into your lane. He's a moving pick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that one. That, they called it holding. I think the ref saw him grabbing the sweater and pulling the guy down. I just thought he'd give him a little push, and but he went down like. Uh, oh, well, I won't like finish Brad that Marchand. statement. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah. I love that. <clears throat> right. Get that penalty call. All right, that that was it, Bruce. That was a that was the the most hard, that was the hardest fought game I think I've seen all year. Mm, from yeah, the it, was, it they, was pitch warfare at times, eh? Even when the orders were down like two nothing, they did not give up. They were battling, and, and they were even when Boston was having that great run of grade A shots that I referred to earlier. It's not like Edmonton wasn't trying; they were really trying hard. Oh. They were they were giving everything they had, and that was mm-hmm. fantastic to see. You know, the orders mm-hmm. team have that kind of effort because um, those are, those are pretty tough plays that uh, they gave Boston the two, nothing lead. Um, my second good thing, Bruce is the Oilers um, second goal. Derek in particular on that play, Derek Ryan uh, and outside of that uh, own hit on Connor McDavid, which McDavid was looking the other way. So um, oh. it was just a really unfortunate play. Thank goodness McDavid wasn't hurt. Good thing is McDavid and I'm, up. Yeah, I'm not blaming Ryan for that. These things happen in hockey. It's just part of it's. It's a fast game and a dangerous game, and and it, that oh, happens. But my heart was in my throat. Everybody's so was so was McDavid's for a second. Mm-hmm. I think Ryan's um, was, too. He was he looked terrified. I saw him Yeah, he always. I did that. <laughs> <laughs> Derek Ryan is like what five ten, one hundred seventy. He's always a little terrified of this. He, he, Bruce, I just thought he played fantastic tonight. And he has been for some time. Um, he's part of a group of Oilers, um, you know, along with with Devin Shore and Clean Cost and, and, and Brett Kulak, who in this calendar year just really picked up their play. And um, he he is such a smart hockey player when you watch him closely. He just, he's, he knows how to stay on the right, me- the right side of the player defensively, like even in the offensive end, even on the back check. 
you know, when, when a lot of players aren't thinking that. He is always thinking out there. And he was thinking on this play. The puck gets shot into the Boston end. Um, and he, or by the, by a Boston player, actually, he dumps it in inadvertently and it goes into their own end and Ryan chases after it, puts some pressure on the defenseman who throws it up the boards and it's, uh, picked up by, uh, Devin Shore who makes an absolutely fantastic pass, fantastic pass to Ryan McLeod, who makes an absolutely fantastic finish, but it's still not, might be, it might not be a goal, but old Derek Ryan has charged over to the net. You know, mm-hmm. after after forcing the puck on the boards, he's gone right to the net and he's screening the goalie. Mm-hmm. And uh, his screen is crucial to that goal. You know, all three offensive players mm-hmm. executed perfectly. Shore's pass was fantastic. Uh, McLeod shot really fast and Ryan's screen. But I just Ryan's think... Ryan's um, check and then a screen. Yeah, he's just, he's a smart hockey player. Mm-hmm. And I never would have thought this. But there's a chance they're going to resign this guy. Yeah, oh sure. Uh, depending on what happens in the playoffs, of course. Like all these guys, really depends what happens in the playoffs. Too. Like especially Shore mm-hmm. and Ryan for contracts and cost to a certain extent as well. If they come up big and have a big playoffs, they're definitely coming back, of course. But even on, based on Ryan's run in the regular season, he's making a strong candidacy for a another contract. Shore and Janmark and, and also Bugstad that are all on expiring contracts that are potentially yeah. UFA. Uh, let's just put it this way. I'd be surprised if the orders let all four of them walk away, that they'll probably sign. I'm, I'll guess two of the four will get signed before free agency. Of those four veteran forwards that are all sort of 30 years old, been around for four or 500 games, you know. Well, I'm, I predict the orders are going to win the Stanley Cup routes. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to say three out of the four because okay. if that happens, well, they're just going to bring the whole team back then. The, well, they probably, you know, as much as possible, <laughs> but they, you need some turnover, right? You, you gotta, you gotta change things over a little bit. Uh, your second good thing is. Yeah, I'm going to go with the uh, game-winning goal, and uh, it was again a second goal in this game scored by an Oilers defenseman. After a long, long drought of goal scoring, they're still getting an odd apple from the assistant. In the end, I suppose it doesn't matter who gets. But it's nice to have a threat from the back end. And uh, uh, Bouchard certainly was that, jumping into the play and firing a great shot. And this one, uh, Nurse, who was credited with the goal, uh, was doing, uh, you know, they, they cycled the puck. I think uh, Drysaddle won it on the other side or even the... Uh, Yamamoto was involved in the, in the winning of the puck, and Drysaddle fired it back to the point. CC made a good play there to keep it alive and chip it over to Nurse, and he just fired it into a screen. And Nugent Hopkins being the main screener, and I think Yam, Yamamoto was also coming in. And I just don't think Jeremy Swayman ever saw the puck. And the screen came through, and the puck, I mean, if we were – Grading it from a Boston perspective, we might call that a grade B goal. We we, we count it as grade A because of the screen. We see that the goalie yeah. was unsighted and it's a difficult shot. Still, I'm surprised it didn't just hit him because he was pulled over to one side and he kind of got beat, looked like short side and looked like there was like one or two feet of room there. And uh, Nurse's uh, uh, relatively innocuous outside shot, but because of the movement of the puck and the uh, uh, chaos in front of the net, uh, became a dangerous shot and a goal. And in the end, that turned out, of course, to be the game-winning goal. And 
nice to see. I mean, it's uh, all those guys. It's nice to score, even if that's not your main job. It's nice to get one once in a while. And and uh, both those guys got off a lengthy schneid. If that's a uh, if that's not a non sequitur uh, tonight with their uh, respective goals and. Uh, Nurse played, he played almost 25 minutes, five shots, three hits, three block shots, very engaged in the game. The usual, he got beat a couple of times. And the usual, he won a few battles just by being a superior athlete, skater, you know, strength battle, speed battle. Um, And uh, I thought handled the puck pretty good behind his own blue line. But anyway... Uh, whoever scores, you know, you, what you want is for your team to score. And the fact that Connor McDavid didn't score and the owner still managed to score enough to beat the first place Boston Bruins right in their own barn, uh, especially coming from behind the way they did, is a really encouraging victory for the club tonight. Just looking, trying to find Nurse's even strength points here. He's always oh, about one every two games. He's very consistent. Yeah, his game. stats aren't his stats this year. He's got in 66 games, he's got 34 points, yeah, um, seven goals and 27 assists. He's plus 20. Mm-hmm. So um, it's pretty normal. He, he topped out at he got 41 in uh, uh, he had 41 in 82 games, uh, <clears throat> Nurse, and he's always just seemed to hang right around that one point every two games, and barely any of them are power play points. They don't use them much on the PP, so he's, uh, you know, especially this year, largely five on five. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially this year, he hasn't had much on the power play at all. So let me see if I can find well, the out. second unit hasn't scored at all. Like, literally, they have no goals. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's, right. actually, that's actually a pretty good one, but I got another number for my number. But this all one right. is ongoing. My, um, my bad thing, Bruce, is um, the first goal against. I'll go with that. Um, you know, it was the orders had been the orders had come out. They had had the first grade A shot on net. Ryan Ryan McLeod got that. Um, it was a tip shot. I don't really remember the play, but um, Shore and Bouchard were involved in it. Anyway. Um, the orders are putting all kinds of pressure on early in the game and Boston, the puck kind of gets, there's a line change and McDavid comes on the ice and um, he's, the puck kind of goes by him. He's not right, like right on the, he, I, I was wondering if he let it go by him because he was afraid of a too many men penalty call. Like he was a little slow to it, I thought. And, you know, DeHarnay has um, uh, been beaten through the middle zone by Marchand who, who hops on the puck, but Marchand's just, just kind of hops on it. He gets it on the wing and he just throws it at, you know, a fairly hard, a hard but outside shot. You know, it's outside the dots. Um, mm-hmm. uh, it's outside the uh, that'd be the left face-off dot. It's a, it's a grade B uh, scoring chance shot at best, yeah. and Skinner lets it in. And it's like, I'm just thinking, like, what what is going on with the Oilers' goaltending? You know, they need at least they need league average goaltending. Um, if they're going to compete in the playoffs, they don't mm-hmm. need to have the best goal in the ice to win the Edmonton Oilers, but they need to have league average goaltending, which is like, I don't know, what is that, a 9-10 save percentage this year? It might even be a lower. I think it's lower. It's, than low. That. it's more closer to 9.05. 9.05 this year, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's kind of amazing how the shooting percentages have gone up this year. In any case, I they're not. I blame the uh, streamlined equipment. 
I think there's yeah, more I, goals going through those the holes inside the goalie's arms and stuff. Good. But good. It's just a theory. Yeah. Could be that. And um anyway, it's it was quite unlike Skinner. He hasn't blown a lot of shots um this year. Mm-hmm. But that was certainly one of them. And it was just very deflating, especially against Boston, mm-hmm. especially with the Oilers off to a good start in a tough game. So it was it was not a good moment. And mm-hmm. um yeah. We've had too many of those moments, Bruce. It's getting it was it's getting a little old. So yeah, it was like the puck was in Boston's territory for about three minutes and forty seconds, and in Edmonton territory for about three point four seconds, and it was in the net. Marchant just comes in on this innocuous kind of play and shoots from over there, and what went in? I, as I saw it, it hit Skinner on the inside of the blocker. Somehow bounced down, seemed to catch his in his leg, his other leg, in behind the pad, and kind of, so it took a double bounce and back into the net. And I said to my mom, to uh, to my wife that you know that puck took more bounces than the magic bullet. This was going all over, but eventually it did the damage. So, um, Bruce, the I just just to quickly get back to Nurse because I found the number I was looking for. Mm-hmm. He, in terms of de- defensemen who regular defensemen in the NHL who have played at least 400 minutes five on five. So these are mm-hmm. you know serious defensemen getting a lot right. of ice time. Uh, Darnell Nurse ranks 25th for even strength points per 60. 25th. Mm-hmm. He's, he's ahead. Than that. He's just ahead of Victor Hedman and Hampus Lindholm, mm-hmm. and. Uh, just behind Devon Taves and Gustav Forsling of uh, Florida. So, um, you know, he's starting to, he's starting to get the numbers that look like top pairing D-man numbers is the truth. Um, you know, his time on ice and his, his usage numbers. The only thing that doesn't align with that is the power play. What's your bad thing, Bruce? Yeah. You know, over the last five years, Nurse is ninth in the NHL and even strength points. So he's he actually a, a little bit low. For D-men, yeah. 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 Really? So between Sandwich between Eric Carlson and Dougie Hamilton. Darnell yeah. Nurse. Yeah, yeah. Really? Yeah. Darnell can't make know. a pass, Nurse. <clears throat> he is a high-event player. I will he say that. Player. He, he doesn't a... make all of the passes, but he certainly makes some of the passes. The fact that he yeah. misses one doesn't mean he misses all of the other ones. That's the part that gets my goat when it becomes a. And again, you know. and I'm encouraged with him too. We talked about this the other day. It's like he looks healthy and he's really skating well. Mm-hmm. And um, yep. you now when he cranks it up for the playoffs and brings, you know, the, the he's going to benefit from he's going to benefit from Ekholm being here too, big time. Oh yeah, like it's going to be sure. way more more more. Uh, uh, equitable sharing of the toughest minutes. I, I can only think that, uh, you know, now the coaches have got, a, you know, real, all along people are saying, well, Kulak, he is not looking like a second pairing defenseman. Well, Matias Ekholm sure looks like one. In fact, he kind of looks like a 1A, and I don't care which order they play in. If they can both play 20 minutes tonight at a high level, that's fantastic. Yeah. And and this, um, you know, when Duncan Keith retired, I was relieved. Because I didn't, you know, that was a big cap hit. Mm-hmm. And um, that was a really big cap hit. And you'd expect further deterioration. And he had been good in the playoffs until Colorado. And then he kind of got exposed a little bit along with some of the other, the team or the rest of the team or mm-hmm. all of the team. But um, he really had played well. 
he had really played well in the first two rounds of the playoffs, Duncan Keith, and had been a stalwart and had been like a he had been a top four D man with Bouchard in those first two rounds. So they didn't have that when he left. They 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 were missing that from the lineup, and they uh, you know they were hoping Kulak could step up. It didn't happen um, to to the extent that it was needed to happen, and now it's now it's coming on. Um, are we on your bad thing? Yeah, yeah. we're on your. Yeah, well. I'm going to stick to the trend. We're going to actually talk about all five goals tonight because I'm sure we're going to take that second Boston goal. It came with 0.2 seconds to go in the first period uh, with a uh, uh, what seemed like a controlled play where Boston dumped the puck in with about eight seconds to go and Stu Skinner came out and fielded the puck and he took behind the net and he held it while the clock ticked down, you know, six or even five seconds. And then he tried to fire it by the nearest Bruin, of course, knocked it down out of the air, and chaos ensued from there. And Nurse and Cece were out, as they often are in the last minute, and Nurse came, oh, so close to poking the puck off the guy's stick twice. He touched the puck or the end of the guy's stick, and somehow the guy was able to control it. And then Nuge floated a little bit to one side of where he'd been, and the passing lane opened up. And boom, the pass went into the slot to Pasternak, wasn't it? Yeah, uh, the wrong Krejci. guy. And, uh, you know, it, and Pasternak, I don't think it was that great of a shot. Like, I thought really Skinner should have had the shot, especially seeing as how he, <laughs> he kind of owed the team a save at that moment after just having coughed the puck up. But uh, no save, and that was just a real kick in the junk that second goal like all those things happen the goalie cops up the puck they kind of slide one through them there's 0.2 they got to check the clock they win uh, you know and just two nothing down and I, you know boston had i think it was a 2.08 goals against average going into this game so you're down two goals and a third of the game is over and you got to get at least two and shut them out the rest of the way well odds were not in edmonton's favor as uh, so we'll talk about more in a minute, but uh, it was uh, uh, that night in the season where the unlikeliness happened and they were able to not only pull all the way back, but win it outright in regulation, kind of like what they did in Madison Square Garden way back when they came back with that 3 nothing last year deficit in the third period. This was in November. Okay. I think when that... Okay, last, time Bouchard, last, last time Bouchard scored, Dave. Oh, yeah, the McLeod, oh, well, McLeod had not. a good he game. Scored, yeah, he scored the two goals in that game. Then he scored in the next game, and then he hasn't scored since. Anyway, they it just didn't seem like it was in the cards, and they just kind of hung around. It shows, Bruce. And Stuart Skinner hung around. I mean, we're, we're, we're dumping on him for the two goals. He didn't let in any more after that. He slammed yeah. the door, you know, so credit where due. Yeah, fair enough, Bruce. That's a good point. Excellent point. Um, it shows what a, just how discombobulating a turnover is. Like of all the mistakes players make, turnovers yeah. are the worst because no one knows where the other guys are. Then, right? They've mm-hmm. all got their mind on offense, which they should mm-hmm. have. Like they're all thinking they're NHL players. They're thinking one or two steps ahead, or they're in the moment of the of the play. Mm-hmm. And suddenly everything's like blink, and it's changed. Everything's changed. And so Nurse doesn't attack. Like there's CC and Nugent Hopkins in the slot. Nurse could have actually just attacked Krejci, but he doesn't know that. He doesn't know that because there's a guy he senses a player behind him, and he he so he's backing off just he backs off a little, then he moves a little, and he doesn't know that he's got the time 
uh, or the he's got cover to go after right. Krejci. And Nugent Hopkins, he's They're all he's, watching he's, the puck. He's he's also looking at the puck and he's looking at the guy going to the net and, and Cece and he are kind of like, oh, he's got that guy near the net and boom, the pass, the low high pass to the guy, Pasternak, one of the best shooters in the NHL in the slot, gets on the one timer, and it's a goal, and it's Skinner's turnover. And Bruce, oh. that kind of like I thought there was no way the Oilers were coming back at that point because. Not only have they given up the weak goal early in the game, which is usually the kiss of death for a team, right? But they, then they give up the goal right at the end of the period, which is a, utterly demoralizing for a team as well. Mm-hmm. These two things happen all at once, mm-hmm. and for so credit to Skinner and the rest of the audience because they kept working hard. They they really did battle back, uh, mm-hmm. in a in a way that um, you know they've been I guess they've been doing it fairly regularly. They're used to that because they go, always give up these two often give up two goal leads. Or they did earlier in the year. It's it's faded a bit as the orders have gotten better, but um, they did it again, and that was a that was a, a huge play. Hey Bruce, I just want to go back quickly to the the third goal because I I don't know. Did you mention Drysaddle's great? He he won the puck there yeah. beside mm-hmm. the net, and they, mm-hmm. so he that was a great play by Leon, and he, then he threw the puck back um, hard to the blue line. Cause he was under a lot of pressure. He just won the puck and it was a, it was a skirmish and he fired it back and CC then made a, a nice play too. Cause he, he had to stab the puck down on his backhand, control the puck and move it over to nurse. And, you know, it's a play that you expect an NHL player to make. Nonetheless, it was, it was a very nice play by Cody CC to control that pass and get it over to nurse. Mm-hmm. Yes, it was. So. And the, the only way to beat these guys was to cycle the puck cleanly and fast enough to get room to get a shot away. And that's basically what they did there. You know, they they whipped yeah. the puck around pretty good, even though the pass wasn't <clears> perfect. They, you know, they need sometimes two or even three one-touch passes to to find a guy with enough room to do something with it. Yeah. And no need to make any of those passes to Connor McDavid because he's going to be covered before he gets the pass. Boy, there was one sequence tonight I was just kind of burning. It was uh, McDavid starting in his own corner. And by the time he got to center, he had to run the gauntlet through three different Bruins, which would have been fine had he had the puck at any moment during that <laughs> entire sequence. But it was three different Boston forwards came over to sort of just make him change his route one after the other. And the third one sort of just guided him right into the boards. And, you know, that was sort of clear-cut interference, but they didn't call it. And it was, it was frustrating. But a lot of it was, you know, just very, very skilled defense by the Bruins like there's one play where Leon went behind the net with the puck and he tried to throw it back out the side he came from to Yamamoto to jam it in from the side of the net and there was a Bruin guy all over Yamamoto lifting his stick and just making sure nothing came of it you'd think you know that's a surprise attack you might get an open guy they were they had it figured out so all that said somehow there was enough cracks in there for Edmonton to to light the lamp three times and not give up any more goals. So so we have to uh, take those two points and run. Bruce, my number is one. Uh, so Connor McDavid had just one shot on net, all game shot on net, one all game long. Mm-hmm. He was minus one um, uh, when it came to official goals, plus minus. And... Uh, we track grade A shots, major contributions to grade A shots. Connor McDavid, who averages about between six and seven major contributions to grade A shots per game, 
Uh, it's, it's closer to seven this year. Haven't added it up in a while. Uh, he had just one of those as well. So um, Boston really did a fantastic and generally legal job of taking McC Connor McDavid out of the play. Um, they just do what a good, def a great defensive team should do. A smart defensive team where everyone I think on that team takes it almost. Well, not even almost. I think everyone on that team who's who's been there for a while and is going to stay on that team understands their top priority is defensive hockey, and and um, even more so than scoring. They all play strong defensive hockey, and they kind of this team's kind of looking like the um, you know the New York Islanders of the early 1980s in that regard. That, that was another team that had some real talent on it. But man, those guys just worked like like demons mm -hmm. on defense. They were so aggressive and well, so disciplined. So disciplined. And that's what I see with the Bruins, you know, in the two viewings I've had of them so far this year. Mm -hmm. um, that kind of defensive intensity, which I have not seen, I don't think, from any other NHL team, um, that level of, it's pretty rare. Yeah. And uh, it... It, it's hard. It, it's easy to imagine Boston getting to the finals, and my only hope is by then it's, it's an older team, and I'm just hoping like the grind of the playoffs will have worn that team down considerably by then, which I think is a realistic possibility. Well, I don't really care how ground down they are if they're playing Edmonton, but but that would well, be they nice. will. They will. <laughs> All right. Uh, what is your number, Bruce? Okay. Well, I'm going to go on with the. Uh, uh, Jack Michaels curse numbers from this game, and thankfully this time he cursed the other team by repeatedly mentioning how they were 28-0-1 when they led after the first period, meaning they got uh, 57, uh, 57 of a possible 58 points when leading after the first period. And I'm going, well, you're saying there's a chance. Uh, <laughs> then after leading after the second period, 35-0-2, they played 37 games, and they lost two in extra time, gimmick time, and they won the other 35, and so they gave up two points in, in 37 such games, while tonight they gave up two points in one game that they led after the second period and came away with nothing. And that's the first time it's happened to this fantastic Boston Bruins team all year, and the team that did it was the team that's won six of its last seven visits to Boston, the Edmonton Oilers. So a little more credit where due. The boys have uh, had some uh, good success in that building, and they uh, managed to fight their way back tonight and find some more. It's, it is it is an amazing story what's happened in Boston, how they've taken a team which, which I would have thought, given the age of their core players, given the loss like of... Eh? Given the loss of... Um, their um, Zadino Chara, which was the best, you know, after Chris Pronger, he, he, I think, probably the best defenseman in the NHL. Like, once Pronger stopped being that defenseman, then it became Zadino Chara for a while. Maybe Drew Doughty at the same time was in the running. Those two guys were in the, battling it out at that time. Who's the best defenseman in the NHL? They, so they lose him, and, and yet they still... Uh, and the, you know their their core players are getting uh, they're not young anymore, Bruce. Let me just no. uh, give me give you the rundown here. Um, Bergeron and Krejci. Bergeron's thirty seven. Krejci's thirty six. Marchand's thirty four. Um, that was at the start of the year. I don't know what they are now. I'm just looking at Hockey DB because they 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 do it from the start of the year. So there's such key players or older players, um, and uh, yeah, it's very 
and then they, you know, full credit, they 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 are able to trade for players like um, Hampus Lindholm, Pavel Zaka. We're not seeing Taylor Hall right now, but we're seeing Charlie Coyle, and these players are good. Mm-hmm. And they signed Linus Olmark as a free agent. So good work by Boston management. Hathaway and Orlov that they added this year. Exactly. And then also Bertuzzi. Uh, Bertuzzi, yeah. Yeah. So they just they are low they have they have loaded up. Mm-hmm. But they do a good job. Like they bring in players like you know, really some really tough bottom line players who are quite strong, like Trent Frederick and he, he can really play hockey. Thomas Nosek seems like he's playing well for them. And A.J. Greer, like the, those guys are rough and tumble players. So mm-hmm. that's a really strong team. Wouldn't be the Bruins without a few of those. Indeed. When are they <laughs> going to throw Stan Jonathan over the boards? Mm. John Winsink. So. All right. Your number, Bruce. Yeah, oh, uh, my number was uh, 35 0 and 2. Oh, that's, sorry, excuse me. Sorry. Oh. Yeah, we've already dealt with it. Yeah. But, uh, if you're going to give me another number, I sure got okay. one. That's what I meant. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> uh, just I need to find it again. Uh, and this is Edmonton Oilers power play goals. <clears throat> we talked about this briefly earlier. Total number of the power play goals this season by Edmonton, who leads the league with uh, 72 power play goals. I think that adds up to. Uh, Leon Dreisaitl, 26, Connor McDavid, 18, Zach Hyman, 13, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, 11, four forwards with over 10 goals, Tyson Berry with four, and all the rest of the players on the team, zero. The first unit has scored all 72 of those 72 power play goals, including, of course, Tyson Berry, who's no longer on the team, but was uh, integral to that first unit uh, throughout most of the season. That is, (laughs) I want to get, I'm going to give another number since, and I was, we were talking about uh, the number of uh, executioner shots by Leon Dreisaitl is one timer Mm -hmm. shot. Mm -hmm. And so I was just checking, we started tracking like the different types of shots about, we started tracking it four years ago Mm -hmm. and it was in response to Leon Dreisaitl. We were trying to figure, you know, it was in 2018, 19, he scored 50 50 goals or 50 some goals. Yeah, I can't remember exactly 50. how many 50. 50. And the, the, you know, everyone was saying this isn't sustainable. We heard that a lot that season. This is not sustainable. He's shooting 21%. He's not going to continue to do this. And at the time, both you and I thought, well, there's something different about the way he's scoring. He just seems to have this unstoppable weapon and maybe just maybe, you know, cause he fires the puck so hard and so accurately and he doesn't shoot that much. He's very careful in shooting. Like he, he'll hold the puck and make a pass Maybe this is someone and uh, who's going to have a, a sustainable high shooting percentage. It, it, it has happened in the past. So that's when we started to track this. So um, I talked about this last podcast. And so I broke it down further. And I found something really kind of interesting in that he's he, his shooting percentage has crept up every year the last four seasons in terms of this particular uh, one-timer shot from 32% to 43% this year. But his his per game, the, the number of one-timer shots he's getting has crept down. He used to get 0.92 per game, so almost one a game. And now this year he's down to 0.56, and he didn't get one tonight, so it'll be a little lower. So it's almost half of what he had four seasons ago. And clearly what is happening um, is not on the power play. On the power play, he's getting as many as ever, as far as I can tell. But at even strength... He dropped from having 34 
one-timer shots in 71 games in 2019-20, 34 in 71 games. He's got five at even strength in 63 games. And his numbers have dropped um, from that. So I think other teams, especially at even strength, are paranoid, ultra paranoid now about this particular shot. They realize it is sustainable and they're doing everything they can. And at even strength, they're able to, to get enough players out there to clog things up that Leon's not able to get off the shot very often at even strength. I've just really tried to Essentially, if Leon's going to beat them, he's not going to beat them that way at even strength. They're going to they're going to have a player who's aware of him, and other players clogging up the middle of the ice, and he's just it's just a rare thing for him him to be able to get off uh, his execution or shot at even strength any longer. Which is it's amazing he's still chugging along, scoring tons of goals. He's finding other ways to score um, at even strength. He's he's still getting a lot of goals. He's you know if he if he remains hot he'll get 50 goals this year uh doesn't get injured remains hot like he, i think he's on track for that kind of um close to that at least so but yeah, well, this he, there was some help with him for a while uh around between games 40 and 50 like his number of face-offs dropped like he had a lot of nights where he's taking 25 even 30 face-offs and he was down to like 9 11 12 for a while and there's his percent rate was going down at the same time his shot totals was dropping zero one one two three zero zero that's like consecutive games and so there was and he wasn't take you know there was times where you think well he's going to take this draw and yet someone else would step into the circle and take it and not just because the linesman kicked him out because that only happens 13 times a game but uh, it was uh, you know actually delivered choice to uh to have someone else taking the draw. So he may have been nursing, you know, like a got slashed on the thumb or something, you know, and it just sort of dipped a few of his totals, including his shot rate. Well, maybe it was still the injury that he was had last year, right? From the Possibly. evil the evil Mikey Anderson mm-hmm. uh takedown of of dry settle. He's still getting over that. But he looks he again, he looked healthy tonight. He looks he's looked healthy for the last two weeks in a way that he hasn't looked, mm-hmm. I think, in about a year or so. Um, that's really good to see. Alrighty, any final thoughts, Bruce? Or uh, real happy to take two points away from this game, and uh, now the the last game in Toronto. Obviously, you want to win that or get some kind of result from it uh, to come up with a plus road trip. But uh, at minimum, that you know they lost the one in Winnipeg so disappointingly, and <clears throat> they scored. Uh, you know, five goals and couldn't win it. And then since then, they've had three goals in each of two games. It was enough to win with Stu Skinner in the pipe. So one situation on the Oilers has really crystallized, and that's who's the number one goalie. Indeed. Indeed. Leon got an assist tonight. Yeah. yeah He's got 90, winner. 97 points in 64 <laughs> games. Not too bad. 26 power play goals, 15 even strength goals. So... Yeah, that's kind of different. Yeah, yeah. I'd have to look. I haven't. I didn't break down what it what it was mm-hmm. scoring even strength at other seasons. Bruce, let's leave it there. Thank you for talking tonight. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast. <laughs>